Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell. What a piece of work is a comedian. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty. In form and moving, how expressed and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? It's a bit of fun, isn't it? I love talking to people in comedy about comedy. If you'd like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest this episode was described by Time Out London as one of the smartest, funniest sketch comedians, recommending her as one of the top four comedians to follow in 2022. She's a writer, actor and sketch comic whose online content has attracted millions of views. It's stand-up sketch and character comic, Claire House. Hello. Hi. Hang on. Here we go. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Really good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, not at all. So, yeah, if you're happy, we'll just jump in. On, on. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. I hope I have anything interesting to say. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> so tell me about what are your earliest recollections of comedy as a part of your life? Uh, with most, as with most people, I think family stuff. So comedy was sort of, um, for my mom and my brother and me, at least like the, the kind of currency, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you could manage to come downstairs with a, with a pillow stuffed up your person in a way that was particularly <laughs> funny, that was a, that was a win. <laughs> Um, my mom used to have a great, like she would laugh and stamp her feet. So that was kind of like the, uh, that was a big win. So earliest recollections would probably be in the household. And then, um, I was, a, I was growing up mostly in Canada. And yes. so we had, we wouldn't have like, there's a lot of British comedy cause my mom was from London, mm -hmm. but you would only get it in fat chunks. So it would be like TVO or PBS would play all of Mr. Bean in a day. Yeah. And so you just sit there and watch that or all of Faulty Towers or all of, you know, keeping up appearances or whatever. Mm. So there was that. And uh, yeah. And then beyond beyond the English stuff, I think the first stand up I remember, my parents would watch Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, but that was kind of like. That was Robocop. You weren't allowed to watch that <laughs> when you were small. And then uh, and then the first one that I remember watching sort of independently was Eddie Izzard. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then apart from that, it was like whatever was on, Ren and Stimpy, Beavis and Butthead, Kids in the Hall. Did, does anyone over here know what Kids in the Hall is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, you know, that was the Canadian sort of SNL yeah. Went to see that live when I was seven. That was pretty good. Oh wow! Yeah, is that was that the question? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, you, it was a while before you went into comedy. You were first and foremost um, in theatre, wasn't that right? I started. Yeah, I started like really desperately wanting to be an actress. From I lived close in Ontario. We lived pretty close to their Stratford Festival, right? Which is also Stratford on the Avon, <laughs> um, which is an amazing festival. And we would go there when I was small, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I love this!" Blah. So I was a bit <laughs> of a theater nerd. And then it was yeah. So I was doing drama camps and plays and stuff. And then I was about fifteen before I got introduced to Second City, um, yes. which you know what that is, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I was like, I was teaching at a drama camp uh, and we, uh, some, some drama teacher had dropped out. And so we, in his place, got someone from Second City in Toronto. And he was like, oh, you need to come, like, you need to come and do improv in Toronto, yeah. which was first sort of like improv sketchy thing. And then it was, there was no turning back from there, except there was turning back. <laughs> <laughs> So how long were you doing comedy in Canada before you decided to make the move to the UK? It's a real, real long and winding road. So probably mm. what I should have done was when I fell in love with comedy at at 15, I should have just said that's what I was going to do. <laughs> Instead, I decided to go do a degree in medieval history and uh, and art. And I started doing art. Basically, I was trying to avoid getting on stage because it made me nervous. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I was doing, I did like university, I did sketch troops, I did plays mm -hmm. and, uh, and then in between then and now, cause I'm getting up there, there's been a lot of stuff, but I, I did a master's degree in art. I lived in Columbia for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until I was like, it wasn't until I was sort of in my early thirties and discovered myself living in Latin America uh <laughs> debating debating whether or not to open a dog shelter and I was like I think I'm a little further from my dreams than I thought it was gonna be <laughs> and then I was like okay well I better I better go I better go and see what's happening and then even when I moved to London mm. in 2018 uh, stand-up was not really on the menu like I still wanted to do comedy but I was thinking like theater sketch whatever yeah uh and it wasn't until I kind of got chucked on stage that that I realized it was something that I could do yeah when you say chucked on stage um I think I mean a lot of people have that thing where if you're funny in conversation they'll go oh my god you should do stand-up and yeah. I always thought that's that's not how that works. Like just because you could make someone laugh in a conversation does not mean you can get up on stage. And so it was, I don't know, I found it too stressful. But then, you know, since I was rejigging my entire life, yeah. um, it was suggested to me again. And because it's one of those, like the thing I like and liked about stand-up mm. is that in the initial phases, at least, there's no gatekeeper. So you can get up on stage and there's not, as there is in theater, yeah. a casting director saying you're too tall, you're too fat, you're too this, you're too that, you're too old, you're too bad. Yeah. There's not like somebody telling you whether you're allowed to do the thing you're good at or not. Mm -hmm. um, so you just get to get up on stage and either be good or suck or both. <laughs> um, and so I think that's uh what was appealing about it but yeah someone someone suggested it to me yeah um it was suggested to me a few times over over a period of about six months right and then I finally did some random open mic and someone got me a spot which was nice of them yeah so what was that first spot then what was it like going on stage as a comic I think uh what was it like? I think it, I was nervous. I think I was, uh, I had the skills of an actor, which means like, you know, you can be on stage, mm -hmm. but I think those same skills 
of from acting can be detrimental in terms of like a stand-up performance. Right. So first set by any stretch of the imagination, like it went well for for a first stand-up set in an open mic but looking back I'm just like oh my god I know that I was over rehearsed and like not looking at the audience and I know I didn't move the mic stand so I'm kind of like retroactively going oh my god it was so shit but actually (laughs) I left the stage going oh my god I'm a stand-up comedian because people left but yeah. Yeah. So it was positive. If if the first gig had been terrible, I don't I wonder if I would have gone back and done more. Yeah. So you thought you, you thought of yourself as a comedian quite early on. Did you decide I'm a comedian now and that's it? And then we'll see if I fulfill the role. No. <laughs> no. I wish I wish I had done that. It was like all the signs were there, but I was just sort of I was taking I was taking a lot of information on what I should do in my life. I have a German dad, I had an English mom who wanted things to be fine. And there was a lot of like, you need a plan A before you can have a plan B. And I I took that like probably in retrospect way too seriously. I should have just gone and been a janitor at Second City or something. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, it, it's easy to see in hindsight that it was always on the menu, but I think I'm a very indecisive person and I constantly feel like I'm staring into the void. And today I'm like, maybe I should just be, you know, doing drywall. Maybe that's what I'm good at. Like, I I don't know. Or opening a dog shelter in America. Well, exactly. (laughs) Do you think that you ever get comfortable with the idea that comedy is your, your A road? I think until I, uh, until I have a fat bank account. Which definitely is not happening. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I would, I'm not, I mean, yeah, I don't think until you're sort of living off it. Right. Until you're full-time funny. <laughs> no, um, yeah. but but by the same token, you kind of have to take seriously that that it's a life sentence in order to do anything with it. Yeah. A lot of comedians um, I talk to say that they just can't imagine doing anything else because they, it's such a huge part of their life, regardless of the income. And obviously, the income you need to survive, but doing comedy is such a is something that they love so much they can't envisage not doing it. Do you feel that way? Um, the, part of me thinks that that's quite a privileged <laughs> way of seeing it. Yeah. I know people like I have another job mm-hmm. because I live in London and it's and rent's gone up 50% in two years. Like it's not, uh, um, I, I don't think there's any shame in having other pies in action, yeah. but um, yeah, of course, like in a dream world, all you want, like all I would like to be doing full time, 24 hours a day is thinking of ideas, writing ideas, filming ideas, testing them. Yeah. That's of course. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, the older you get, the more you're like, should I just, yeah, should I just have get an accounting degree? <laughs> <laughs> so when you started out becoming a comedian, was there anything that you had, you kind of expected? Does anything, did anything surprise you about the 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 experience or the industry that you were entering? Um, let me think about this. I think, uh, did I have preconceived notions? I didn't have preconceived notions. I think my preconceived notions in general and maybe from Canada hmm were because in Canada there's there's like a real ceiling to it feels like and maybe I haven't been there for years Mm. so maybe it's different now 
but it felt like there was a real ceiling to what you could ever accomplish. Right. Uh, things were happening miles and miles and miles away. And if ever you wanted to succeed, you'd have to go to LA or New York or anywhere else, which you couldn't do because you needed the visa and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I had this sense that like everything was very distant and it would take some kind of miracle to get anywhere. Um, and in London, within the first year, you kind of realize, oh my God, no, everybody's here. And this is this tiny insular community. And sooner or later, if you just sort of have a last man standing mentality and you're good yeah. um, or you're working, um, you'll meet everybody. And there's kind of like opportunities arise. So I think that element of it, like the access was surprising to me here in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, preconceived notions, not really. I think from the first, from from your first sort of year to two year and a half in in doing open mics and stuff, mm. you kind of get the sense again if you're working at it all the time that progression is really possible. Yeah, and uh, and then I think you can hit a you can hit a ceiling at a certain point with the industry where you go, oh my god, oh yeah, there are actually gatekeepers at a certain level. <laughs> <laughs> Preconceived notions? Not really. Yeah. No. Maybe. No. <laughs> Some will say, oh, there's a fixed format. There's a line you kind of have to follow. You've got to do the bringers and the open mics, and then you've got to do your 15. You've got to do your 20. You've got to do your split bill and so on. And then others will say, no, that's nonsense. You go in wherever you want to go, and you just you just pick what you want to do, and then people will offer you things or you'll find things. I mean, what's your experience been in that regard? Uh, I think like definitely in the early days, you just have to work as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I luckily made a deal with myself, a sort of militaristic deal after the first <laughs> one went well, like, even though the first one had gone well, I was very aware that like, it, it doesn't always go well. Yeah. Um, and so I made a deal with myself that I would do 50 shows before making a decision as to whether I would continue, mm -hmm. um, which I did. But then, of course, by the time you've done 50, you're like so involved and obsessed with it that you will keep going. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, what was your question? Was that there's a defined route or not? Yes. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I think you can get uh Basically, it's just the more you do early on, the better. Yeah. The more you, and I don't think I've particularly found my voice in stand up yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, maybe my preconceived notion was that you would be able to find your voice within two or three years. And I'm realizing that probably it takes closer to 10. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you um, actually, you kind of almost just answered it about having a, style as something a, a way of being a comic that you you wanted to do and you're what you're saying telling me now is that um you're you're not there yet you're, you're still working on that no I think for some people it's easier than others like I um there's like it's so amazing to be a club comic yeah. and it's such an incredible skill to do crowd work at a high level mm. however uh there's a party element to that kind of comedy that like I like to watch but I it's not me uh, however that's like you can kind of be misguided I feel by 
listening to your audiences. <laughs> because I, I think naturally what I find funny and what I gravitate towards is a little bit left of center, a little bit alternative, but it's easy to get that beaten out of you by doing like bottomless booze nights and stuff where people just want the kind of humor that like you would see written on a toilet wall. Mm. Uh, and there's, there's like amazing humor that could be written on a toilet wall, but I don't think that's where my strong suit is. So I think in some ways you can get uh, like, you can get sidetracked into being a little bit maybe mainstream or broad. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, that's where they thrive. And I don't think that's necessarily where I thrive. So I'm trying to find like what that middle ground is. Yeah. Did you find, did you find that uh, the UK comedy experience culturally significantly different to uh, the comedy culture in Canada? Um. Again, I was not really in stand-up in Canada. Sure. So I don't know. Uh, I don't really know what it's like there. It didn't even seem like a possibility when I was growing up. Like, I, I don't know if there was no culture or I just didn't see it. Mm. Um, sorry, what was the question? How is it here? Yeah. Um, I had some sense of like uh, the level of writing and the quality of the comedy from my mom, uh, which is what I was interested in um, or like what, what felt um, sort of like, familiar mm. um but i maybe didn't understand fully the kind of like class system over here right. that's quite severe uh and you i feel like you kind of need to live here a few years before you really by osmosis pick up the actual dynamics and kind of like coded language around class mm. so that's something um that was surprising because obviously that doesn't really exist in Canada so much yeah um I think Canada has like English people I will say this <laughs> the English people believe that they are modest <laughs> they are not modest <laughs> I have never been in the country where people can more comfortably and this is a good thing talk about their accomplishments and sort of sing for their supper like it is a People know how to do their own personal PR over here. And that's not that's not the case in Canada. We have really have tall poppy syndrome, I think, or at least did until I left. Um, <laughs> small, small person syndrome where you're just like, yeah, don't 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 be anything other than humble. Otherwise, people will uh, judge you. But I think here you kind of have to be this like. And I'm amazing at this, and I'm amazing at this, and I'm amazing at this, uh, which I, <laughs> I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. It's not, it's not in my blood. Well, it's interesting because um, a lot of comedy on stage is um, more self-deprecating. And yet off stage, we're all telling everyone how wonderful we are. I know. It's really like, um, I think maybe a misconception I had was that you can kind of be a lone wolf, that like, because mm. of the lone wolf gladiatorial element of stand-up comedy that you can make your way through the whole system by yourself and that's really not true you kind of need to be it do, it doesn't hurt to be a social butterfly which i'm not i'm like totally a <laughs> introvert <laughs> an extrovert an introvert what do they call it <laughs> um so yeah i think uh there's that dynamic of like 
friendly networking, mm-hmm. PR, you know, being comfortable posting a picture of yourself in a bikini or whatever it is, um, that uh, that is still a mystery to me. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your online presence then. Tell me about the house special. Oh, the house special. <laughs> that's um isn't that uh that's quite new. I think the house special is a response to the fact that I had a community guidelines ban on on Instagram that lasted two years <laughs> and they just refused to take it off. So none of my stuff was being seen by anybody. Mm. Um so it's a last ditch effort. Uh well. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the house special is just the name I gave my new YouTube channel, which I have not given as much attention as I should. Have done. <laughs> I'm starting to I'm starting to play around with the idea that maybe long form stuff is a bit funnier, or maybe like I don't know. I don't really know. I'm still experimenting. Mm-hmm. So the house special is my YouTube channel. It's also the name of my TikTok channel, yes. both of which are new um in lieu of instagram which i i can't i I do not understand the algorithms over there or how you gain access beyond 10 percent of your followers yeah um yeah so online is where uh i do some character work and some uh maybe it'll be a joke or an idea that i haven't been able to work out on stage that i think would be better suited to video and hopefully I will be doing more f- properly filmed sketches mm. shortly. That's what the house special will be. That was a very rambling answer. <laughs> it's where the videos are. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this, we are talking about uh, sketch comedy, character comedy. Do you feel like you're, when you're doing stand-up on stage and you're, you're doing straight stand-up, is that a character? Are you playing yourself in those instances? really you're I guess you're kind of yourself turned up to 11 or 12 ideally Mm. um I think some I I yeah that's probably what it is so I'm hoping to actually put some not character but like bring like impressions and voices into the stand-up to kind of marry in between because I feel like for a while when I was doing a lot more Instagram stuff and and videos online Mm. people would come to stand-up shows from there and think that I was going to do characters yeah and uh so I again haven't found the happy medium there yeah do you prefer (laughs) do you prefer playing other people yeah I think so when stand-up's going really well it's obviously really fun uh but i think if i in the darkness of night (laughs) if you asked me which thing i think i'm better at i would say probably characters yeah yeah is that the actor in you coming through yeah probably yeah yeah it's more fun you can kind of i feel much more able to like improvise as someone else right or in a different voice, like different voices. I love doing voices and they can open up like whole new vocabularies, I think of character and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm a frustrated character actor. (laughs) You mentioned improvising. Uh, How much do you improvise? And when you're doing, for example, your standup, is it mostly scripted? Do you play around with it in the moment and and similarly when you're recording a character do you go off script 
Um, usually if I'm recording a character, I will improvise until I find what I like, and then I'll record it as a script essentially. Right. So that can be a long and frustrating process or not long, but like an hour. Mm. Um, on stage, I don't really improvise that much. Mm. Um, and yeah, maybe that's, uh, just a level of comfort type of thing i feel like i would need to be in sort of a room that really doesn't matter at all <laughs> to really go off piece because i don't think i'm that funny when i'm improvising as referenced by this podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh well yeah mostly it's yeah mostly, mostly scripted yeah what about when you get uh like when you have hecklers and what have you do you do you close them down or can you roll with it and improvise I can roll with it sometimes. Sometimes I will, you know, go off piste. And I told a couple of guys who were talking that they looked like they were the sort of people who would die in a parkour accident. I think that was uh, maybe a low point. <laughs> people laughed and it was true, but I felt like and I, it's not my forte. I don't love watching crowd work and I don't, love doing it right which maybe you need to do to uh to be really effective yeah i, I don't love it yeah. i would always and I, as an audience member i would always so much rather see the act yeah then it's kind of i feel like it, it's sort of it's sort of emblematic of what's happening with comedy as a whole today it's like the the shift of the dynamic is going towards the audience in a way where it's like they're participants in a way that I'm not sure it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> like audiences for sure forgot how to be audiences during the pandemic. Like they're different than they were before. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they want to be much more involved. I feel. And because of the, the dawn of the YouTube clip of like such comedian destroys so-and-so people feel like it's part of the dynamic. Yeah. Um, but like, I just, when people are like, you know, oh, what, what brought you here? What kind of a couple are you? It's, I just think like, I would just so much rather hear about the person on stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, but that's probably, that's, that's my own problem for, <laughs> uh, that's again, probably from theater. It's like, watch the show. Yes. You came for a show, watch the show. Yeah. No, I agree with that a hundred percent. <laughs> someone someone recently got kicked out of what was it the bodyguard in manchester for singing yes. along yeah people are now just singing along and getting involved aren't they yeah <laughs> um it's wrong it's so medieval yeah uh, it's like you you mentioned there um about people making more and more the shift towards the audience interaction and some comics entire shows is based around the audience interaction yeah and i understand an mc looking for a hook to sort of bring the audience energy up for the acts, but then specifically don't talk during the acts. So it's mm. it's in it's interesting that you mentioned it there about the audiences kind of expecting to be part of the show. Yeah, and I think it's again, it's like also the dynamic online as well. It's like what we consider successful is stuff that reaches the most people and the broadest level of consensus. Yeah. And it's like I'm not sure that's where the height of comedy exists. <laughs> <laughs> Is in is in the thing that everybody yeah. gets immediately. I feel like that automatically strips out any kind of 
or the majority of like uh, idiosyncrasies that I, I would find funny. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Um, you've mentioned the pandemic, of course, we must. So what, tell me about your lockdown experience, because as you say, you started comedy in the UK in 2018, 2019. You were a finalist at So You Think You're Funny. You did a, an Edinburgh experience with Josh uh, Weller and Susie Priest. And, Research. And, then, uh, and then 2020. So what happened next? Yeah, I had a lot of nice gigs lined up. Everything was <laughs> about to go really well. Um, and then uh, as far as like physically enjoying lockdown, I have kind of a militaristic uh, martial arts sort of uh, German background. I quite like having restrictions. You know what I mean? I like having no options. And I like, uh, I, I enjoyed functionally lockdown yes. of like not being able to go anywhere. You do not need to socially interact. And it put, I put out a lot of, you know, online content at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I functionally sort of enjoyed it. Looking back, I think it was not great for the career, obviously, <laughs> because it, it took a lot um, to get back. Uh, yeah. You kind of had to work your way back up to where you were, which I'm not sure I did. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I think it derailed everything. It was kind of depressing for the industry where the, where the industry that didn't get the funding and, you know, yeah. um, to say it had no impact would be bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> but like I, but I personally as a human, um, mm. was, was fine with it. Yeah. How was yours? I loved it. <laughs> you loved it. Yeah, I had a time of my life. It was beautifully did you have sunny. A project? No, I did. I did nothing. I sat in the garden. I drank rum in the middle of the day. I was in a hammock. It was glorious. Okay. <laughs> How do you have enough space for a hammock? What the hell is this? I have a garden. Unbelievable. Disgusting. This is this is uh, my yeah. white male privilege. Central Central London living. I was like, you have a garden. You oh, how dare you? <laughs> In the suburbs, live in the dream. Yeah. Uh, I've completely thrown myself now off. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, yeah, lockdown. So what about Zoom? So I saw you do a comedy cabin, I think, a couple of times. So how was your Zoom experience? I think you probably saw the sum total of it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> two lights at I comedy cabin. I didn't do very much. I did a couple and then I found that like, man, I'm being so negative in this interview. I'm not like this all the time. <laughs> um, I think I've, yeah, like the distance between the joke and the laugh and like that kind of functional stuff. I just thought, oh, I don't know how much I'm learning here, but it was fun doing those kind of like, and I think Comedy Cabin was sort of character comedy a little bit. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I preferred doing filming things and writing things, um, during that time rather than doing zoom stuff. Yeah. Well, I mentioned also, uh, your 2019 doing, so you think you're funny. So what about competitions? How do you feel about, um, doing on the day contests like gong shows and, and things like, so you think you're funny contests and awards? I've never done a gong show because I felt like it was a waste of an evening. Yes. <laughs> because to go to go to go and use an evening and do 30 seconds and then be dumped off uh just seems like why wouldn't you just go do a show and do 
10 or however long. Yeah. Um, so you think you're funny was kind of, I think it was the only one I did. I know I have applied for a few. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I even made it to the first round of like BBC new comedian, uh, like not even the live thing. Um, so yeah, it was weird. It was like, so you think you're funny? What just shot pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. I really do any after that, but I think they're really good. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're fun. And I think people should basically my take is if you do really well, that's fantastic do them because why not and uh if you don't get anywhere in them don't take it personally because it not doing well has nothing to do with anything mm. doing well is great yeah and uh also i mentioned your edinburgh split the bill with josh Weller yeah. and susie p so how was that experience loved it it was great we were lucky enough to be in the counting house um which is central mm-hmm. and at a evening like 9 30 at night which was amazing and so we just sold out immediately which is not everybody's experience there <laughs> um so i had kind of a golden um experience for a few weeks there i thought it was great yeah um yeah loved it yeah so you've not yet returned to edinburgh Mm-mm. No, I think life took over a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, there's been like other other elements of life flaring up. Yeah, uh, which have kind of detracted from from the writing, and I don't I don't see the point of going if you're not going with something that's like incredible, and I and increasingly I'm not sure. It costs so much. Like I think just a. Uh, morally and ethically i'm not sure what the integrity is of like sc- like scrounging everything you have together to go up to this place mm. for a month and just unload um it just seems like such a gamble and part of me is like well yeah if, you, if you're gonna spend 10 grand like why not just make a movie or you know do something else with the money so i think i get caught in these webs of like possibility and a void of like well, yeah but you could do this but you could also do this but you could do this and then I end up like not doing anything <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think uh obviously Edinburgh is fantastic for going working every single day networking and making friends with comedians yeah. uh building an audience up there like it's such a cool it's such a cool thing and and I'm not 100 percent sure how it has lasted through the pandemic and what the dynamics are, because I think they've also changed since I was last there. Hmm. And I see, I've seen people who are now going up for their debuts who are like my cohort. Yes. And, um, and you know, you know, from like last July that you'll be going this year and you're already working on the show essentially. So, yeah. um, and you kind of, they, they, the, most of the people will also have like industry buy-in essentially. And like, agents and people kind of strapping them into the roller coaster going okay this is what we're doing and um so it's a whole again that's something that i didn't necessarily realize when i was up there in 2019 that was like okay that kind of behind the scenes thing you kind of have a sense as a newbie like you're going up and like anyone could be the newcomer but it's kind of "Ah, i don't know (laughs) now as a comedian are you able to go out and watch 
comedy and disassociate from it? Or do you use the comedian mindset take over? Uh, I can definitely still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, uh, but I will, I will then think about it afterwards in terms of structure and stuff. But I went, like, I went to see, do you know who James Austin Johnson is? Yes. He's like such a huge talent and his, the impressions are, uh, I found that really inspiring. So I really enjoyed the show. And then I left going, oh yeah, you can do voices in your show and it can work. And, you know, there's yeah. always, your your comedy brain will always be ticking not with what can I use from this show, but like, what does this tell me about what works and what doesn't? Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't think, no, I don't think a comedian can ever turn their comedy brain off. Yeah. Not me anyway. It's probably like a sommelier having table wine and you're just like, I can enjoy this, but there's something wrong with it. <laughs> oh, I like that. I haven't said that before. <laughs> <laughs> So what about what so far then have been your your best experiences and your worst experiences? My gosh, I can't really remember. Um I'm talking about comedy here, not like significant trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your therapist. <laughs> um best experience. I mean, like obviously just functionally, like doing a stand-up sketch show was really fun because Yes, it's incredible as someone of any level to arrive and they've created the whole scene like they've built your sketch in the real world. That's exciting yeah. um, as a gig. Also exciting. Uh, I mean, in terms of like, I, I don't think you can ever beat like super early gigs that went well, where you're just like, oh, my God. And you get really a bigger endorphin rush probably than you do later. Um, so I can't, I don't know if I can really be specific. I remember the semifinals of, so you think you're funny being so fun because it's yeah. a great audience and it's Edinburgh and it feels really big. And then obviously a few win, which I did at that time, it was like, oh my God, it just makes it really fun. Um, top secret there have been some really fun gigs there. I love that element yeah. of like doing two shows within you know, half an hour of each other. Yeah. Small and big room. That's really fun. Um, I'm trying to even remember. I don't have a great memory. I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> just trying to remember when people laughed. <laughs> <laughs> bad gigs, like bad gigs are bad, but but they're also funny because like I remember going up to somewhere in sort of like zone eight and traveling this huge distance for something that someone um someone said was going to be a big show and then it was in the back of a pub and there were two guys with like zz top beards just sitting in the back who just did not want to hear anything um worst <laughs> okay worst gig i had one really bad gig that was a, a great opportunity that i definitely screwed up <laughs> <laughs> which was it was again it was too early it was like in 2019 i'd only been going for a couple months and um, I got invited to do my first, it was like a big theater in Deal. Mm. Uh, and it was 200 people, I think, or something like that. But it was a cabaret show. So it was, it was like drag performers and dancing. And I was the comedian. And that was the first time I'd ever been in a lineup that wasn't just all comedians. And I just didn't know yet that you need to kind of get people on board with stand-up before just launching into it. So <laughs> I went out and was just probably not great. 
<laughs> um, and just died on my ass for about 10 minutes. And then the host of the show had seen my Instagram characters and was like, well, he, he'd been trying to egg me on towards doing one of my characters on stage, which I was like, I don't do that. That's not really what I've been doing. So I ended up with this kind of like Frankenstein monster creature of a set where I went out and did 10 minutes of stand-up, left the stage, put a wig on, came back on as a German, <laughs> and then was just like rambling as a German art critic for about 15 minutes, which actually went better than the stand-up. But I left there and was just like, oh my God, that was... You know, there are certain times as a comic where you're like, that was an opportunity. And <laughs> I did not rise to the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> and I got paid too, more than I had been paid before. So I was like, I just had this overwhelming guilt. And it was fine. And it was like a massive learning experience to go, okay, if you're in a lineup that's not comedians, these are the things you need to do. Yeah. This is how you relate on a stage that's that's that big. Like it's those painful ones that you learn a lot from. Um, but uh yeah, that one I think sticks out as something that didn't go that well. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you mentioned there about learning an important lessons. What are the other key lessons? Uh what uh what philosophies have you developed that you take forward with you? philosophies I don't know about philosophies I could think overall just like being honest specific present in the room yeah not playing into and I'm still dealing with how to navigate this as I mentioned at the beginning like how mm. not to, how not to just end up on Obviously, no topic is hacky, but let's face it, some topics are hacky. If five people <laughs> in an evening get up and say, hey, who's on Tinder? Like it's, you yeah. know, I think finding what is really specific to you that you were passionate about and then diving into that, um, probably really important. Philosophies, I don't know. Go with the flow. I think the... I don't know. <laughs> my philosophies are are limited. It's a life. I think my philosophy is like it's a life sentence, so don't rush. Probably, which is why I'm not rushing to Edinburgh or anywhere else. It's like I'd rather something be good before it's done. Yeah. This kind of modern thing of like publish or perish, which has gone from the academic world into yeah the online world i just don't think it maybe it is a recipe for success for some people um but uh yeah i just think the dynamic is a bit off sorry yeah. again i've gone off on a complete tangent <laughs> <laughs> philosophy write every day do as many shows as you can yeah. But don't stress out if you can't do six shows a week. It is possible to do too many shows. Uh, be self-critical without being self-loathing. And that's it. Yeah. So TV then, theater, stage stand-up, uh, self-filming. Where are you most comfortable? Uh, probably stage. Stage and filming. Yeah. 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 I think stand up. What makes stand up fun is the fact that it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. 
Right. Um, but I do feel like uh, I've moved. This is going to seem like it's a tangent, but I will come back to why it's not. I've moved in my life 48 times. Wow. So from childhood, moving around back and forth to Canada and just from house to house, from country to country, yeah. I've moved a lot and flown a lot. Carbon footprint, bad. Never going anywhere again, don't worry. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I'm also someone who's like constantly worried that they're not doing the right thing with a sense of urgency about it. Like, did you watch the end of Succession? I did not, no. Tom Wamsgans, who's a character in it, he has a speech at the end that's like, I worry constantly about my personal safety and threats to my <laughs> threats to everything. And he, he anyway, it, it's similar <laughs> to that where I'm, I constantly think that I'm not quite doing the right thing. So I think what it I find fantastic about being on a stage hmm. for an hour is like, there's nowhere else you're meant to be. You know that these are the squares. Like this is the this is your audience that you have now. You can't improve it. They're already here. <laughs> and there's something about these limitations yeah. that I find quite comfortable that you that you can't possibly make a better decision because here you are for an hour, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, kind of like the stage is yours you own the stage for that hour and you can do with it what you want and you can make of it what you can. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a level of, um, yeah, I, that I find comforting weirdly. Yeah. Maybe. That's yeah. yeah that's fascinating. Cause we talk about people who are like feeling limited and restricted and wanting, you know, freedom of expression and especially a post pandemic, everyone wants to freedom of movement and I want freedom, freedom, freedom. And then, and it, you're, you're shaking your head at me. Oh. No, no one wants that. That's terrible. No. I, was thinking, I was thinking, I was actually writing about this this morning mm. that I maybe I'm going to stand up a bit about like how much better, obviously in the middle ages, some things are bad, right? You have no dental care. <laughs> I personally would have been locked in an attic because I have terrible eyesight but <laughs> the limitations, like you didn't have to work, you didn't have to make any choices. Mm. Like there's one type of breakfast that you're going to have forever. That's it. You don't have to think about it. You have <laughs> one outfit. You don't have to think about it. You, you have one tier of society, you have one job, you're going to till the field and that's what you're going to do forever. <laughs> I like that uh, <laughs> limitations breed, um, genius <laughs> <laughs> think your way out of the box i guess <laughs> yeah nice do you still get or do you get nerves anxiety before you perform yeah uh i had terrible terrible stage fright but um it does go away a little bit although i think now because of various factors i'm sort of taking and this is another possibly philosophy i think it's okay to take a little hiatus and like take some time off to breathe inspiration so i've been off stage for a couple of months hmm. mostly and uh and so the nerves really build up again it's not like riding a bike where like suddenly everything's fine obviously it's that way with like your stand-up skills kind of come back but hmm. uh 
yeah, I find that it's sort of like, um, it's like, I don't even know what it would be. Like it builds, builds up. So if you're doing shows two or three times a night or every night, then the the nerves are minimal. Yeah. And as soon as it comes more than five days, then I have them again. Mm. So how can we find out about you? How can we find out where we can come and see you? (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Usually I will post things on Instagram Mm -hmm. or if someone tags me in something, I'll post it there or Twitter, but I'm not really active on Twitter. Um, Frequently, if it's a nice show, I'll put it on my website in advance. Um, which, as you well noted, I have not been doing. <laughs> but yeah, theoretically, on the socials is where you should find out. Mm. Uh, so finally, my last question, in line with the title of the show, uh, can you sum up comedy in a nutshell? I think I'm going back to life sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a life sentence. Claire, thank you so much. It's been fantastic talking with you. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thanks a lot.